Masechet Gitin, Daf Kaf Bet. Today we have two topics. First, about perforated flower pots. And the second one is about different types of parchment prepared in different ways. So we begin the, with the perforated flower pot, which is always an interesting test case because on the one hand, it's soil. Things grow out of it and it has a hole on the bottom. Um, and uh, from that hole, uh, the plant can get nutrients from the ground, so it's uh, somewhat connected to the ground. It can even grow a root right through that that hole in it. Uh, on the other hand, it's a movable object because you can take it and move it from place to place. So it's a it's a it's a fun uh, case to test out different um, theories. So kitavo al shel asis nakub kasher le nihala. If someone writes a get on the clay pot of a uh, of a of a perforated plant a pot in a, in a perforated pot, but you actually write it on the clay itself, that is a kosher valid get because the husband can take the entire pot and give it to his wife, and it's a pot, and so he's giving it to her, so there's no problem there. Uh, why would you think it's a problem? I mean, because we said you can't write it on a tree, on a leaf, on something attached to the ground, um, but even though this pot is on the ground when you're writing it, and uh, and then you're uh, picking it up. So you might say, well, it's kind of attached to the ground. But no, we don't say that because it's just one action. You're picking it up and giving it to her. So there's no, it's not considered that you're doing an action in between. So that's fine. Al aleh shel asis nakub. But what if you write it on a leaf? In a on a plant that's in a perforated pot that's on the ground. Uh, so Abaya says that's also fine. It's the same as writing it on the clay uh, pot itself. You're writing it on the leaf, but even though the leaf is part of a living thing, well, I'm not not a, not a living being like an animal. It's part of a uh, an item that is growing and it's kind of attached to the ground in the sense that it has a hole, but the same as before, you can just pick up the whole thing and giving it. It's part one action of taking and giving. That's not called an action in between. So it's fine. It's a valid get. However, Rava says, no, this looks too much like a, a, a different case where it's really attached to the ground. You can't write on a leaf that's attached to the ground because um, it's, uh, it, it's because it's attached to the ground and you have to add another step. We saw yesterday and then Vinatan that there has to be no action intervening between the writing and the giving. And if you have to cut off the leaf, then that's an, an added action. And so in this case also, even though, yes, if you would, would be very careful to take the entire plant and give it to her, then that would be fine. But we have a gezerah because you're going to say, well, you know what, maybe I don't want to give the entire plant. Uh, let me just rip off the leaf and give it to her. But in that case, that is an added action um, that it was, it was connected. I'm ripping it off and then giving it to her. And that would be no good. So therefore, he says the entire situation, even if you give her, to the, whole, give her the whole pot, one should not do that. Okay, now since we talked about potted plants, let's go further into this discussion. Now this has nothing to do with a get. This is just about how to how can you acquire a transfer ownership of a potted plant that a perforated pot 
that has a plant in it. Uh, the difficulty is there's two different ways of acquiring items. Things that don't move, like land, you acquire them uh, in uh, several ways. You can with, uh, with a document, with money, or with hazaka. Hazaka means that you're going to do something to the ground. You work the ground, um, uh, uh, plan something, uh, uh, plow, right? work the ground. That's a way of acquiring it. Whereas movable items are a different set of uh, ways that you can acquire it, and one way is by pulling it, right? You have um, some uh, an animal or some uh, a car or a, or a chair, right? By pulling it, that's how you um, effect, effectuate the uh, transfer of ownership. So here's the question regarding a potted plant. Is it like land because it's potted and it has a hole in it so it's connected to the ground? Or is it like a movable item because you can pick it up and move it? So first we have a case of uh, pe two people that own it together. Uh, they share ownership of this potted plant and now they want to transfer the half ownership all to one of one one person. So if you have the pot belongs to one person and the plant belongs to another person, um, if the one who owns the pot uh, sells it to the one who owns the plant, right? So he's basically selling the clay pot. Um, well, a clay pot, a clay pot is a movable item. So once the one, the person who owns the the plant moves it then he then he collects it so for the pot we can consider that a movable item but the other way around if the one who owns the plant is going to sell the plant to the one who owns the pot then it's not enough just to uh, move the plant because this is soil that's connected through the hole to the ground and therefore is considered like land and you cannot uh, um, you acquire land by pulling it Usually you don't have to say that because you can't pull the ground, um, but in this case you need to say that. So even though it's something that you can move because uh, um, because it's in a pot, but still considered attached to the ground, so it's not considered like a movable object, but rather like land. And so therefore, the person that's acquiring the plant, the one who owns the pot is acquiring the plant, he has to do a little work. He has to take a weed out, make a, a, do, do some raking in that pot, and that's uh, how he acquires it through Chazaka. Next case. What if one person owns both the pot and the plant and he wants to sell the entire thing to someone else? So if the buyer uh, then does a Chazaka and uh, plucks out some weeds or does some work with the soil, so he acquires not only the plant but also the pot. And this is what the Mishnah teaches in Masechet Kiddushin, that if you have property that does not serve as a guarantee, that means movable items, uh, can be acquired along with agav, property that can serve as a guarantee, land can serve as a guarantee on the loan, uh, if you do give kesef shtad or chazaka. In other words, let's say a, a typical case, I'm selling land and there's some, uh, there's a, a lawn a chair on the, on the land. And so if I sell you the land in a way that land can be sold, can be transferred with money or a, um, a document or chazaka, you do some work on the land, since you acquire the land, you also acquire the movable objects that are connected to the land, that are on the land. And so in this case also, 
since um, uh, you're doing, uh, I'm, I'm giving you the plant, and you acquire the plant by doing some work on the plant, so you acquire the movable item, the pot, along with it, even though the pot is not on it, but actually the, the land is in the pot, but it's the same thing. Um, it goes, it transfers along along with it. However, but if the person, if the buyer took possession of the pot, like if he pulled it, then he does not get anything. He certainly doesn't get the land because land needs to be uh, acquired through one of those other 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 ways. Um, and he doesn't even get the pot because my whole point is I'm selling you both the whole thing together. And uh, so therefore it doesn't work. Uh, he has to actually do some chazaka on the plant itself in order to acquire it. This case now is not about ownership or transfer of ownership, but rather about the status of a plant, um, whether it belongs to Eretz Yisrael, and therefore would you have to give to Rumot and Ma'asrot, or outside of Eretz Yisrael, in which case you wouldn't. So you have a perforated pot, um, and it, the, the pot is, uh, the whole of the pot is in the land of Israel. So therefore, um, any roots that it has, any sustenance from the soil, is from the soil of Israel. However, it is growing, it's right on the border of Israel, and the, the growth, the, um, the, 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 uh, the branches and the fruits are growing outside the land of Israel. So, what, what, what's the status? Abaya said, Abaya Abaya says we go by where the hole is, the perforation, because according to him, the sustenance from the soil is the primary sustenance, and so that's what the fruit goes by, and so it's required to bring to give to the Motamasrot. Rava, however, says no, we follow the branches, the airspace. Um, that's it's growing in the airspace, that's where the fruit actually is, and so it, it you do not you do not have to bring to the mot and ma. Asrot. Um, so that's actually quite an interesting machloket. It's interesting um, in terms of uh, law, but also in terms of uh, the biology of how trees grow. And uh, even today, a lot of people think that where does where's the mass of the trees actually come from? A lot of people think it actually comes from the soil. The soils are growing up and moving up into the tree. But um, a long time ago, someone did an experiment and had a potted plant, actually a potted plant, um, and on the scale uh, with uh, weights on the other and uh, as the tree grew and grew um, he measured the soil before and measured just the soil after and found that the soil almost remained the same even though the tree grew a lot and so the answer is that the bulk of the mass of the tree uh, comes not from the soil but ra rather right out of thin air the uh, tree through photosynthesis is able to take carbon dioxide split it uh, to carbon and oxygen oxygen goes back into the air carbon that is what a tree is primarily made out of carbon and then water. Um, so actually, uh, both do have uh, a good point. Uh, Abaye is saying it goes by the soil, and some of the nutrients do in fact come from the soil, but the vast, vast majority of the trees, of any plant's mass, actually does come from the air, so the airspace. Um, so that's what that's what Avas says. All right. Um, now, if the uh, uh, the pot actually had, took root um, and uh, and and uh, it has a root coming through that hole into the land of Israel, so then the Gemara says actually in that case uh, they all would agree. 
um, that uh, it goes by the status of the roots and it would be considered part of Israel in the case like this. But the question, uh, their machloket actually is where it did not take root. So there's a hole and this, uh, the hole is, is in the land of Israel, but there's no root there. So there it's more questionable of whether it's significant that it happens to the soil, the base of the soil has to be, happens to be in the land of Israel. Is that significant or not? Um, so that's what the machloket is. That's the Gemara's clarification. And now we're going to question that from a couple of sources. Is this true that when it takes root, there's no machloket? Here's two sources that talk about it taking root, and there is a machloket about it. The first one is Mishnah and Baba Metziah. We have a case of two gardens. One, an upper one, is owned by one person, and a lower one owned by somebody else. Right, so clearly these trees belong to the lower one, and these trees belong to the upper one. But there's also a tree that's growing on the wall that is, that separates between the two gardens and so the roots are in the upper garden but the airspace it's growing into uh, is the lower garden and so here who's who who does this belong to this is now for ownership uh, the Bimeir says it belongs to the upper one, and the Biuda says it belongs to the lower one. So this is a case where clearly it is rooted into the ground, and yet there is still a machloket whether it should follow the roots or follow the airspace. So it's not true what you just said, that if it has roots, then everyone agrees it follows the roots. And so we respond to that. And says no, no. In that case, the the Tanaim give their explanations uh, for why ownership should be for this or for that. And it explains that uh, the upper one should own it because if he wanted, he could dig out the roots and then there would be no more trees. So he can destroy the tree, since therefore it's his. And the Biudah responds and says, wait a second, the, uh, the guy with the lower one, he can fill up his land and destroy the tree that way. So actually he has the power to destroy the tree and therefore it belongs to him. So you see that in this case, we're not the the uh, we're we're not talking about uh, the the laws of Tirumot and Masrot and whether it gets sustenance from here or there. Rather, it is machloket about who owns it, which is dependent not on where it gets sustenance, but rather who has control, physical control over the tree. And so this is a different, unrelated machloket, um, and therefore we can maintain what we said before, that in a case where you have a, uh, a, a tree that is, uh, takes root in Israel, everyone would agree that it, you do have to bring Tirumot and Ma'asrot. And now a second challenge from a Braita, Vahatanya. If you have a tree and half of the tree is in the land of Israel and half of it is outside the land of Israel, it's right on the border. So what's the status of its fruit? According to the Biudan Nasi, it's a combination of tebel and holin. Within each fruit, there's a combination of half of this fruit, and not it's the right half, left half, it's all mixed up. 50% of the fruit of the tree 
and of each fruit is tebel and requires to the masret masrot and 50% of all of its produce is cholin outside the land of Israel and since it's all mixed together so you'd actually would have to bring to the moten masrot for the tree and you would not be able to you to combine uh with with another tree that is actually totally in the land of israel in other words if you have a pile of apples from within the land of israel and you want to take or olives and you take to masrot from that uh you can't take you can't mix them up and take from this tree that's on the border for the other tree in one big pile because for this one only 50 it's only 50 percent requirement of teruma and one that grows in israel is 100 percent requirement so you have to take from this tree for this for this tree um so in a way being half half is actually worse it just has more restrictions uh, now, Rabban Shimon Gamaliel, however, says, if it's on the border, then you just, you just look. Anything that grows on this side of the tree within Israel, that you have to take to the Motam Asrat, and anything that grows on the other side, outside land of Israel, you don't. So it's not all mixed up 50-50-50, but rather it's, you, you make a line right down the middle, or whatever it is, for twenty-five percent, wherever that line is, um, you uh, you split it, and uh, um, and uh, that's uh, easy to easy to split. Now, my love, mixat mixat And aren't we talking here about a case where that the the branches are half in and half out, but the root is all in one place? I'll say all in Israel, right? So that's what we're assuming the root is all in Israel, and yet. There is a machloket about the branches. Do the branches all are they all mixed up? And uh, um, do, do the branches do the branches follow the 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 root? Um, according to Rabbi Udanasi, um, yes, all the branches, or at least in half of all the branches, um, in other words, within each and every branch, some of it is coming from Israel and something from some from the air, and so therefore all of it has a status of being fifty percent, fifty percent terumot and maasrot. Whereas according to Dashbag, no, it's only the it's only the airspace, and so anything that grows from the airspace outside the land of Israel, even though the root is in Israel. Um, it takes no nourishment. We don't care about it, and it's only considered uh, fruit from outside the land of Israel. And so we follow the the airspace and not the root. So you see, there is a machloket here, uh, in a case where it is rooted into the ground. So this is not true what you said before that there's no machloket when it's rooted in the ground, and we should follow the root for everything. And so we answer law mixatchodashinbarashinbachutsaras. Now we're not talking about a case where all of the roots are in Israel, but rather where the roots themselves are also split. Right? The root is half the, the trunk is half on this side and half on that side, and the leaves are also half on this side, half on that side, and that's the case we're talking about. Um, okay, if so, my Gamliel, how come how come Rashbag thinks that you half the, the trees on this side? Are Israel and the, and the fruit that grows on that side is not Israel. Because there's a rock in the ground that is dividing the roots. See, if there's no rock, then we assume the roots go all over the place, right? The roots go this way and that way and get all mixed up. And so then it's drawing sustenance from the ground from, from both places. Um, so if it was just a regular tree, 
that was drawing sustenance, then we would have to say, yes, uh, the, all the fruit has some sustenance from Israel. But in this case, he, we say, we're talking about where under the ground there's a rock uh, and it comes up. And so therefore the roots that are on Israel's side or stay on Israel's side, roots on the other side, stay on the, other, on the outside of Israel's side. And that as they go up the, up the, um, uh, the trunk, they, those roots and those, uh, the sap that's going up them, uh, uh, up up within them, stay on one side and on the other, and therefore the fruit on this side is receiving sustenance from Israel, and the other fruits on the other side is not receiving any sustenance from Israel, and that's the reason that Rashbag uh, lands his halacha. My be. If so, what's the reason of the be that says this a big mixture altogether? Tehadri adabi, because adabi would say that even though the roots are on, are separated, but once it goes in the trunk, the roots themselves intertwine and go on one side and go to the other side, and therefore even the fruits that are on one side will get sustenance from the, even the fruit that's on one side will get sustenance from the roots that are on the other side. So what's the essence of their machloket? The essence of the machloket is that according to the Biuda Nasi, the air, meaning the trunk that is in the airspace, mixes is everything up uh, whereas uh, uh, Rashbag thinks that no the if, if you'd open up a tree you could see that the roots follow straight through on one side and the roots on the other side go straight through and only provide sustenance to the uh, fruits on the other side um, so that's the machloket but this is has nothing to do with a tree that is all in Israel um, if the tree was all in Israel then everyone would agree that in fact all the fruit gets some sustenance from the land of Israel, and so there now we are able to uh, maintain that uh, that thesis that if a, there's a perforated plant and it does have a root uh, that goes into the ground and that's in Israel, then all of the fruit will be considered the fruit of Israel. We now go back to the Mishnah, Rabbi Udah ben Betara Omer. He said that one is not allowed to write a get on erased paper or on any um, uh, unfinished leather that because that is easy to forge. I mentioned the palimpsest yesterday, and here is a picture of one particularly interesting such document where the you can see the original writing on it is in Hebrew. You can see the Hebrew letters here. And then Christians would uh, sometimes, sometimes they just burnt uh, the top and Hebrew documents, but sometimes they thought better of it, and they said, why burn it when this is valuable parchment and we can reuse it? And so here you see that they wrote on top of the Hebrew writing Latin uh, Christian writing. Um, so luckily for us, uh, they didn't burn it and kept it, and that way we can um, read not only Latin, but we can read the original Hebrew that was on it, and this is a source of a lot of valuable uh, material. So actually we can uh, kind of read it um, over time, but this is not good for a get, according to the Biudah ben Betera, because you can easily forge it by erasing and writing something else. Uh, so now that he mentioned unfinished leather, we're going to describe three types of unfinished leather that, according to the Biudah ben Betera, all of them would be no good for a get. These are three types of unfinished leather hides. One is called Masa, one is called Chifa, and one is called Diftera. We're going to uh, describe each one. Masa kemashma'o. Masa is as its plain meaning. Just like Masa that you eat is unfinished bread. 
that didn't have a chance, we don't give it a chance to rise, so too this is high that's very plain and is not fully processed. That it's not treated with salt or flour or gallnuts. The full process is you take the, the hide um, and you remove the flesh and you put it in salt and then you put in flour, the fermentation of the flour uh, helps it and then you put the gallnut water afterwards and that helps it keep the ink permanently. Here you did none of that. Now, why are we even bothering to mention uh, that there is such a thing called Masa? We need to know this regarding uh, carrying on Shabbat. In order to be liable for carrying on Shabbat, it's not enough just to carry a tiny nothing that's that's not useful. If you carry something very small that's not useful, then one is not liable on Shabbat. Uh, so there's a minimum amount for every different type of item. What's the minimum size of something that would be useful? So regarding this masa, what's the minimum size that you that it would be useful to have this much leather? And therefore, you'd be liable for carrying it. It's to wrap a small weight. They had weights uh, in those days, um, either you know to to, to measure uh, uh, whatever uh, different things. If you're buying some uh, you know precious metals, so you have a little weight, and the weight itself uh, can, if you keep rubbing it and touching it and uh, uh, moving it, um, it, some of the material can rub away. So they'd wrap the the weight. In a in some leather to protect it, so uh, a very small weight, um, enough leather to wrap a very small weight. how small of a weight? A quarter of a quarter of a litra in the weights used in pumpedita. It's a very small weight. If someone carries enough masa leather. Um, to wrap such a weight, then they would be liable. Second step is This is hide that's salted, but not treated with flour or with gallnuts. And why are we mentioning chipa? What halacha does it relate to? Again, the hosat shabbat. Um, this is for the minimum size on shabbat. And how much is that size? If you carry it, it's enough of this chipa to write a kamiya. If you're writing an amulet, uh, you can't write it on the worst type, but you don't need the best type of leather. So you would write a kamiya on this. How big is a kamiya? Well, big enough to, to write the basic formula of a kamiya. If someone carries that much, Chifa leather, then they would be liable. Diftera de malechu kmiach vela afis. Diftera is the next step that you salted it and treated it with flour, but not with gallnuts. La mahil chata. And why is it important to know? To mention diftera for what halacha is it relevant? Again, lehosat shabbat vechamashiuro kedei lichtov alav et aget enough uh, leather to write a get. We saw yesterday, right? The size of a get is basically one paragraph. You can write small. So if someone takes carries that much diftera, then they would be liable on shabbat. Now this uh, source here is following Rabbanan Chachamim Chachamim Machshirim. They disagree with Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera. And they say that um, one can write a get on diftera. So this source is talking about because uh, uh, even though it's erasable, Betara would disagree with this and say, no, it cannot write on diftera um, because you didn't put the gold nut water. Uh, rather, it has to be fully processed in order to use for a get for Ben Betara. All right. So now let's go into Chachamim. Chachamim Machshirin. They say you can use erased paper 
and unfinished leather. So this is strange, but you know, aren't we worried that someone can come and maybe there's a condition in the in the in the in the get, and then uh, someone will come later and erase the condition or put something else, right? Um, here's your divorce paper on condition that you owe me that you give me a hundred dollars, and someone comes and just uh, you know erases a hundred dollars and writes a thousand dollars. So uh, this can make a big difference. So how could this be allowed? Man chachamim amar Rabbi El Azar, Rabbi El Azar he. So Rabbi El Azar, the Amora, that's Rabbi El Azar ben Pedat, says that this, the uh, Chachamim and the Mishnah are Rabbi El Azar, the Tana, Rabbi El Azar ben Shamua. Um, who says that the uh, primary witnesses that uh, effectuate the divorce are the witnesses that see the, um, the giving of the get from the husband to the wife. And so therefore, uh, what's written in the get is less important because you have witnesses that are there and they will read the get, they will know what's in it, they will witness the transfer, and then you can go and ask them, hey, what did you read? What was in the get? So therefore, even if someone comes afterwards and uh, changes some words um, that will not be a make or break because we can we don't we're not relying so much on the document itself because as, at the time that it was transferred the witnesses saw it and so they can verify what had been in the get. The Amora says that Rabbi El Azar Ben Shamua only said that it's it's okay if you use that if he, if she uh, verifies the get immediately. In other words, she goes to the betin with those witnesses that saw its transfer, and the witnesses will tell the betin, "Hey, listen, this is what we saw," and the betin then will record that she is divorced and record whatever other conditions are in it. But if it's later, not immediate, but if it's tomorrow, two days, ten days, or more, then it's this is not uh, this is not valid because we um, have to suspect that maybe there was in fact a condition in the written in the get and um, and someone changed it maybe she changed it um, and now by that time after a long time the witnesses are going to forget what they had what they had seen um, so therefore uh, you have to coin to be al azad you have to use it um, you, she has to bring it and the witnesses to the betin immediately, and that's the only way that this is valid. But according to Rabbi Yochanan's interpretation of Rabbi El Azar ben Shamua the Tana, he says that Rabbi El Azar, who is the Chachamim and the Mishnah, say, "Afilu mikan adasarayamim timita dahava betenai midkar dechidi." Even even many days later, you she that the the get is still valid because if there had been a condition in it, the witnesses would remember, and so. So even after a while, you can bring the witnesses and say, here, they remember that it said in the document that he, she has to pay, he has to pay $100. Uh, if she's the one that's uh, forging it, then maybe it said $1,000, and then she changes it to $100. Okay, but the, the witnesses will remember, no, it wasn't, a, I, I remember it wasn't 100 I remember it was 1000 So the Riochanan doesn't give that strict time limit. Rabbi Elazar 
Ben Pedat says that Rabbi Elazar Ben Shamua in the Mishnah only permits using erasable paper or unfinished leather regarding a get. So it will be uh, more lenient regarding a get uh, to help out the woman um, in case it's uh, difficult to find proper parchment. But in other documents, you cannot do that. And the proof is from Yirmiyah. When Yirmiyah has uh, told to go and buy a piece of land, is right before the destruction of Bet HaMikdash, go buy land. And so buy land, the whole bit, the place is being destroyed. And the point is, don't worry, buy land because uh, the Jewish people are going to come back. And so, yes, it's a good, uh, it's a good investment. And there it says, you should put it in a klicheres, take the document that you write, put it in an earthenware vessel so that it will remain for a long time. Um, and in fact, this is true. We know from the Dead Sea Scrolls, some of them that were in clay jars lasted in good condition until today. Those that were not kept in clay jars all fell apart. So you see from here um, that uh, this is a, a financial document. This is a deed of sale, and it has to last a long time. And uh, so this leniency that you can just rely on the witnesses and use forgeable paper, yeah, we'll use that for a get. But for any other document, the, the, the document has to last a long time, and therefore um, you cannot use uh, um, a doc, uh, any paper that, will, that can be forged, it can be erased. Uh, so that's what Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua, the ben, ben Pedat says. However, Rabbi Yochanan interprets Rabbi Elazar ben Pedat differently and says, uh, uh, sorry, this is what Rabbi Elazar ben Pedat says, right, regarding Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua. However, Rabbi Yochanan interprets Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua differently and says, Afilu bishtarot. He says, even in other documents, that's fine. You can use unfinished leather. Um, and even though the Pasuk says in Yirmiyah, so that it will last a long time in unfinished leather, you cannot trust it for a long time because it's easy to erase. And, you know, who knows where the witnesses are going to be after a long time. Rabbi Yochanan says, yeah, but that Pasuk is giving good advice. Hashem is telling, uh, telling Yirmiyah, Put it in, uh, put it in a, in a clay jar, and you know, write it good so that it will last a long time. It's good advice for you because you're the buyer, and maybe in many decades from now, uh, someone will contest it, and you want to have a document that lasts a long time. So it's good advice for you. You should do it, but it doesn't mean that it's necessary. And even if you write it on uh, on the unfinished parchment that can be erased, it's still a valid document. Um, but it's simply a good idea but not halachically necessary to write it in a permanent way. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.